Hello and welcome again to another episode of None of Us Is Yet A Robot, the podcast. Wow, we've made it to episode seven. That's a lot. <laughs> um, thank you for being here. My name's Emma Franklin. I'm a trans woman who makes theatre and performance and has recorded seven episodes of a podcast. Um, this episode is another slight exception to the rule. Um, I guess it's the sister episode of the previous one that I put out, which was um, commissioned in a way by Pink Fringe uh, on in regards to their safety map project. So I spoke previously to Rory Finn-Smith, uh, who's the LGBT liaison for Brighton and Hove Police, and we spoke about what the safety map project might be. And in this episode, I speak to Rosanna Cade, who is the artist who facilitated that space over the bank holiday weekend. And we talk a bit about what it was, as well as uh, holding hands and a whole host of other things. We recorded the conversation at the Marlborough in Brighton and uh, yet again, we're interrupted at some point, but it's all fine. I think um, we're getting better at finding safe spaces to record. Uh, in the previous episode, I offered a trigger warning, and I guess I'll do that again here. We are talking about um, antisocial behaviour, particularly against LGBT folk, and although we don't go into any graphic detail at any point, that's the topic of, uh, of part of the conversation. Um, so I hope you enjoy. I think it's continues to be an important conversation, and um, I'll see you the other side. Um, okay, so hello and welcome again to a, uh, another episode of None of Us Is Yet A Robot, the podcast, following hot on the heels of the conversation I had um, before the weekend with um, Rory Smith Finn, um, I'm joined by Rosanna Cade. Hey, Rosanna. Hi, Emma. Um, thanks for thanks for coming and being here. Um, so this is like a follow-on or a complimentary conversation, I guess, to what I was speaking with Rory about. Because at the beginning of the weekend, we were talking about the potential of the safety map and what that was going to be. And so now it's three days later. And um, it is here in front of us, so that's obviously like why we're having this conversation, or it's been the catalyst for having the conversation. But before we get into all of that, um, let's begin with uh, with the question that I ask everybody, which is, how do you identify? Yes, well, Emma, as you know, uh, I have listened to your past couple of podcasts, and so I know that this question's coming. And actually, uh, I think feel like maybe I've not been asked it for a while and so I've been mulling over in my head all weekend oh how will I answer that mm. question when you ask me it um, because I think that I choose to identify differently at different mm. times I mean that's a direct line <laughs> from uh, my show sister <laughs> that I made where I make a big speech about choices and I say that over and over again I choose to identify differently at different times mm. um, and I suppose you know, sometimes those choices are to do with um, choosing a certain uh, thing in terms of that being an empowering thing to do or doing it for a political reason or for a sort of 
like reason of exploring queer discourse or mm. but so and, and in terms of like from a personal position I think I get very confused about exactly a, a, a form of identity that I mm. go oh that's me and it feels like something that is definitely in flux so it does make me think you know gender fluid is is a, a name a label that mm. exists and I do think that for me, fluidity is sort of hugely important and also sort of representative of how I feel because mm. I feel very, very differently at different times and I represent myself differently at different times. Mm. Um, and I think that recently I've, I've realised I've gone into giving a really long answer no, already. No, it's, 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 but I suppose these are things I've been thinking yeah, about yeah. Um, over the weekend. But um, yeah, I think that fluidity and the freedom... To have fluidity is very important to me and something that I've recognised recently having actually, I think, sort of put put myself into a bit of a box in the past few years or I've sort of been reflecting on a whole process uh, that I've been on since being a teenager, which is a time where I felt very uncomfortable mm. in, in a female gender and the things that were expected of me because I didn't realise I was queer or anything and then... Mm since realising, you know, my attraction to other women um, but, and sort of discovering a lesbian identity and going quite sort of far into that identity and wanting to reject anything to do with femininity because right. I saw it as um, a negative part of me because it felt right. like something I'd been trapped into before and so sort of, you know, like shaved off all my hair and um, presented myself... I went through a few years of presenting myself um, in what some people might see as more of a masculine way of mm. presenting who you are in terms of your clothes and um, what you do with your body. Mm. And recently I've felt like a sort of want, need to move away from that again and to actually allow a bit more fluidity, basically. Yeah. So it's quite a long answer. But I think that there are still certain labels that I sometimes like to identify as... Mm -hmm for like um, maybe more of a political reason or more of a reason of like positive visibility. So like the label lesbian, even though, you know, I think it refers to a certain set of thing constructs that I don't necessarily always feel within, like mm. the history of what that title is and something about like the culture of lesbians mm. is something that at times I sort of like to take on with quite a lot mm -hmm. of joy, but... But actually, you know, right now in this conversation, I'm like, well, I'm Rosanna and I'm your friend and someone you know and a fellow artist. And, and those are the things that feel most true. So everything else feels quite sort of big and maybe a bit um, outside of this. Anyway, that was a bit of a no, it's, waffle. But, but it's I think it, it's funnily enough, like, because I think this is number, I think this is the seventh conversation, something like this, that I've had. And actually, you know, podcast series that was designed first and foremost to all my intentions right at the start were to talk to lots of different trans women particularly um and to have a conversation that didn't have to be about trans issues so mm. it could just be about anything at all and then I, I thought it was just a good question to start with just for the clarity because it's like radio isn't it so people don't can't making assumptions we shouldn't make assumptions anyway but yeah. you know a way of kind of all right. Well, in the in the preface, in the bit before, I say I'm a trans woman, and blah blah blah, blah and that's so I've said who I am. Mm. So just to give the um, the person I'm talking to a chance to introduce themselves as well. Um, and actually, what I've noticed is that it's pretty much 
become the defining question of every conversation and like mm. even from the very first one it's because it, it's so because it is so big and it is so fluid and I think that kind of idea of what I found surprising because actually from like I'm still in a place like maybe I'm in the place with with my identity as a trans woman where you were some years ago with your identity as a lesbian in terms of going this is it's it's something that I'm taking a lot of strength from holding on to it's really helpful to have a label it's given me some some solidity to kind of to find where I am in this period of, of huge um, change and shift and also like trying to take a positive rather than to kind of say, well, I'm not a man, but, and, but you know, to define myself by a negative thing, but to hold on to something. Um, so I think, yeah, it, um, but what, keep, what keeps coming up is, is this idea, is this notion of being much, like actually a lot of people being very open and like, well, gender and identity and all of these things, it is reductive, especially in a conversation that's like, you know, we're getting beyond sort of 101s. Um, I guess what have been in my mind, because I haven't, I don't think I've had that conversation, so I've been making assumptions mm. the whole way through. So, okay, you said a moment ago, but what, um, in terms of pronouns, what uh, do you, what would you like to use? What, uh, what do you use? I hate do you like. I don't like preferred pronoun because it feels a bit flippant. Yeah. Like, yeah. what's the pronoun that is right? Yeah, I mean, today. I don't have any problem with any pronouns he, she, or they, um, and have been called all of them. And and that isn't how I've always felt, but at this stage, I mean, I mean when I was 11, people used to think I was a boy and that really upset me. Mm. But then when I was like in my early 20s, that's like, I really loved that and sort of, and now it sort of sometimes happens, sometimes doesn't it. But in general, um, people refer to me as she, people mm. that know me, and I'm really happy with that. And I think more at the moment, kind of been a bit more in touch with, um, with feeling like a woman, uh, which I just think I had, like, I've, you know, had long conversations with people saying I, I actually don't feel any attachment to the female gender, but not necessarily saying that I feel like I um, am trans or a, a desire to change, um, just sort of a, a feeling of confusion about yeah. um, the body and my gender. But I think there's something recently that's brought me back into some sort of connection to um, being a woman at the same time. That's not how I feel all the time. Yeah. But I think, I think so yeah, I think I, I, think I do just feel very differently um, quite regularly. And I feel very lucky that I, I do feel a sense of freedom within that as well mm. and that I can express myself in different ways. And I think that, um, yeah, I recognise that as sort of a privileged position that some people don't feel mm. as well. Um, but yeah, but just then when you were speaking, the quote that was on the side of the Marlborough last year about gender, I loved, and I, and I sort of related to it, it was Kate Bornstein thing, it was something, do you remember, it was like, gender is the poetry each of us makes with the language that we're given, mm. and I thought, that really resonated with yeah, me actually, yeah. because I think it is a sort of poetry, or it's, it's not one thing that's fixed, and there's yeah, like, yeah. some kind of art form to it in some ways, I think, yeah. so, but we only have, a, but we are given a language with which to explore it yeah. as well so. well we're all I mean, so the other thing that I love from I've said in this series before but I love that comes from not from her I think maybe maybe Julia Serrano who's another kind of infinitely quotable person but um, that 
gender is a construct, but so are traffic lights. But if you ignore them, you still get hit by a bus. So, you know, we are, we're, we're all operating within this framework and there's a framework which has these rules that we're taught and that we understand and that are, you know, pretty sophisticated really because we because it's, it's a huge system. And then, yeah, the thought of it as a, as an, as an art and a way of actually existing within, within that, we have to acknowledge it. We can't, we can't ignore gender because otherwise you're going to get hit by the bus because the world isn't ignoring it. But we can change what it means to us. We can explore what it means to us and we can play and fuck and um, screw with that system. And then I think that there's, cause there's a, a, a difference between that, I think, in my mind, or to, to me, and being trans and the experience of being transgender. And I think like there's as many definitions for trans as there are people and I don't, I only can speak for myself and also am figuring stuff out as I open my mouth and probably put my foot in it in, in various ways. But like that there's something about being trans, or maybe not trans, maybe about being transsexual actually, um, which is a label that I'm tentatively can at times kind of take that is about recognizing that where I might choose to place my gender politically and 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 uh, you know within the world that that's different to the need that I have had to swap the hormone system in my body and to make modifications to the body that I was um, that I have in order to make it more comfortable. Mm. And, you know, there's so many ways of being trans or transsexual or anything that may or may not involve interventions. People have different access and different things and what have you. But, you know, for me, the path that I'm on at the moment, which has involved um, removing testosterone from my system and replacing it with oestrogen as dominant, um, it's just made so much sense to my brain and my body and the way that I am. But that's not a, or it is an identity and it is a, a thing to identify as and I do strongly because there's a, like a community of, of that and there's a lot of specific, I think there's a lot of things that are specific to being a person who's modifying your body in that way um, that make me say, yeah, okay, so being trans, being a transsexual is part of my identity. But actually the question of male or female on the top of that feels really like, it's different you can be mm. both you can be both at the same time which is why when it comes to like um have you had the pleasure of a grantium application yet no um so this is the arts council's new portal for applying for um for funding and they've just spent a lot of money on a new system um that's pretty uh onerous to use and one of the things that it asks you is to tick at the start whether you are male or female or transgender and it, it's so frustrating mm. and I, I know I'm not alone in having written and complained about it but actually it's something that it's not just the Arts Council um, who I have the greatest of respect for I hasten to add um, and probably made this po podcast possible but um, <laughs> it's coming up a lot because mm. people because organizations are trying to embrace mm. and be positive towards trans people but it's like well no I'm, I'm transgender and female and you know maybe i want to tick all three of those boxes and so to have it as an either or choice feels 
really reductive mm. and yeah. grammatically not correct, probably. Yeah, absolutely. And I think what's, I was just thinking then what's interesting that neither, the, well, I, I find it interesting that I haven't said this, but it hasn't said at all is the word queer as well. Because mm. I was just thinking actually that is something that before I have used, probably in the past 10 years or whatever, the, a word I've used a lot and describing an artist and my arts practice as well as uh, coming from a sort of queer perspective but I actually think recently and in terms of something to identify as I find it sort of far too broad now because mm-hmm. I think it encapsulates so much but there's something for me about um, feeling just in general a bit dissatisfied with all of the structures that exist and actually in a way using myself, my presentation, my identity, how I interact in the world in order to sort of actively go against mm. what some of those structures are. So I suppose, which again is coming from like a position of it not necessarily being a need, but more a, a desire or a reaction, which I think, um, yeah, is different mm. to how different people feel in different ones. But certainly that sort of male, female, transgender yeah. three boxes just feels... Uh, yeah, incredibly difficult. It's like just as bad, like it's it's no better than two boxes. Yeah, really. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. It's really, yeah, really, really odd. Um, thinking about your, like talking about your your practice, where do you like? How do you describe your practice at at the moment? Where do you place yourself in that? Or put for another a, difficult <laughs> question. Um, well, how do I describe my practice? So, um, I am a performance maker. Um, Sometimes I would call myself a performance maker, sometimes an artist. Um, And I feel that my practice is quite rooted in a kind of queer discourse. Um, But I suppose the outcomes of what I make take a lot of different forms. Mm -hmm. And I do try and um, work in different contexts. Um, And my work, yeah, some of it can feel quite different but I actually think there is sort of something that holds it together <laughs> which is me uh, no. um, but so I suppose yeah I make I make performance work that's the main thing that I do but sometimes that sort of like queer cabaret type thing mm. sometimes it's very intimate one-on-one encounters sometimes it's a show that happens mm. um you know in more of a theatrical setting um uh and, and in general the the form of it does emerge in relation to I suppose whatever context I'm in or what the process is as Mm. well and what it's offering but I think I'm increasingly interested in making work that happens in public space Mm. um so yeah like not in theatres or art galleries but things that happen on the street and that's probably in response to my performance Walking Holding which is something I've been doing for over five years now and quite a big um part of my practice and that happens in public and I think Mm. The more I do that, the more I become interested in, um, in yeah, in what happens in public space. Yeah. So, so there's two kind of themes to like this conversation, I guess, that have been given to us. One is to, is the discussion about this safety map, which for you know is is right here in front of us, and then the other one was the the topic of conversation, which is holding hands that Rory um, set, not knowing I was going to speak to you. It's have crazy. A practice <laughs> that's all about holding hands. So, I mean, I guess with those things kind of um, both there, well, so, you know, walking, holding, you've just mentioned, 
I mean, I guess I haven't seen it. I think I feel like I feel like I've know it because I feel like I know you well enough to imagine how it would be, and I've like seen photographs of it and read about it and stuff. But um, but actually. I've literally haven't seen it or experienced it, so it would probably be a bit reductive for me to explain it. But is should I explain, explain yeah. it to you? Because I, cause so, I actually don't think I've heard. I've spoken to you about it ever. Yeah, well, uh, walking holding is a performance for one audience member at a time. Uh, very simply, um, what that audience member does is goes on a walk um, through a town or city that's about half an hour long along a route that I've carefully planned. And when they're walking on that route, they hold hands with about six different um, local people. Mm. And the idea is that those people are um, different to each other. So, you know, perhaps different ages, different races, different genders, mm. different identities, different backgrounds. Um, and it's a very simple um, performance. Um, that is sort of it, that's the construct of it. Um, and, but I think it works on lots of different levels and on one hand it is um, about, you know, uh, what what that intimate interaction with a stranger can bring up, what it is to hold hands with someone that you've not met before and, um, and how that affects, um, yeah, the interaction with them. And then it's also about um, how you're being perceived on the street because you're holding hands with these different people mm -hmm. and how that might change um, how people perceive your identity. Mm -hmm. So, for example, you know, if you're holding hands with someone as the same sex as you, people might then perceive that you're homosexual. Um, and so, it, yeah, so it's an exploration of those two things at the same time. And depending on sort of where we are and who's in it um, and, and what the atmosphere of that place is like, um, different things can come through mm. quite strongly. I'm, I mean, I originally made it in a direct response to my own experiences of being in same-sex couples mm -hmm. Uh, in Glasgow and that's where we first made the piece um, but you know my understanding of what the work is about or the potential of what it can be about for different people has really really opened up mm. um, as I've taken it to you know all these different places across five years um, but yeah so in terms of sort of thinking about public space I think um, it's made me reflect a lot on how many sort of unspoken rules there are in public space and how many people feel uncomfortable mm. um, in public space for loads and loads of different reasons. Um, but also that through the act of um, doing something that feels slightly out of the ordinary, it can actually be quite an empowering experience and can open up mm. the potential of public space and and hopefully open up the way that we look at other people mm. um you know and sort of this act of just holding hands with a complete stranger for me is something very positive mm. and um it's yeah it's sort of a, a way of breaking down um the some of the barriers that we put up around yeah. ourselves as well i think so it's so i mean sorry Rosie, you're saying that but i've not only not experienced your project, I've I've described it to loads of people <laughs> over the years, um, and I think I've probably done it relatively well. Um, but it's I mean, isn't it funny that it just comes down to such a small thing, and a, and the privilege of I mean, one thing that struck me 
when talking with Rory about particularly about some gesturing towards the map, but particularly about kind of public safety and and he was we, he was talking about um, people being targeted for antisocial behaviour because of holding hands because of being perceived in same sex relationships, but it's something that you know for so my I have this identity as a trans woman and and a transsexual and a woman and and all of these things, but it's all really new for me. Like this was five years ago, less than five years ago, or five years ago it wasn't my identity, less than five years ago it wasn't perceived to be my identity Mm. and it's like suddenly these things that are problematic that that were not problematic such as holding hands with your partner as someone who was perceived as being in heterosexual relationships always Mm. I've never had an issue holding hands with my partner I have the same partner now as I had pre-transition and now we do have to think about that and it's it's yeah it's it's very odd right like that such a small thing can yeah I mean it's it 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 seems like such a small thing and I think the more I do the performance the more I speak to people about it there's so much complexity within that act of holding hands um you know as soon as you're in a sort of not uh, heterosexual, like same race, similar age mm. couple, as soon as there's something a bit out of the ordinary about it. But, you know, particularly if you're two women or two men, I think, um, and I think you and Rory spoke about this a bit as well, I, I definitely think it's harder for two men mm. to hold hands than two women. I think that's more of a threat to... Um, to masculinity mm. um and so you see it so much um less often it, it it's like it can never just be a, a careless gesture yeah. there's so much in it and i think something i've been thinking about a lot sort of through doing this map and through doing walk and holding is where do we draw the line between visibility the importance of visibility mm. and the importance of safety and what does safety mean Mm. and what is what is at risk because um if obviously to you know you you can not hold hands and you can um and often that will feel a lot safer particularly Mm. if you're two men but through acting like that regularly throughout your life denying yourself who to be who you truly Mm. are in public space what is that actually doing? Mm. And so I suppose, you know, thinking about what safety... Yeah, I'm just sort of interested in where these lines are and I think it's different for everyone and I think um, it's about... We're all, like, trying to survive on Mm. a base level but also above that what's important is to flourish and to feel... um, there's like a, a quote, it's actually on one of these tags that is very central to my practice and to walking holding in this book, I think. Should I just read this out? It's a yeah. bit long. But So this is Judith Butler. Um, oh, Judith. Uh, the test of queer theory activism, the test of trans theory activism, is surely to make it easier to breathe, easier to walk down the street without harassment, easier to find a livable life, a life you can affirm with, se- with pleasure and joy, where our sense of a livable future is stronger than our sense of suffering. Mm. And there's a lot that Judith Butler talks about, well, and lots of other people as well, which is not... It's about sort of being able to flourish and being able to yeah. live with 
joy and so I suppose when we're thinking about some I was sort of apprehensive about making this map and asking people to share um places where negative things has happened and to focus mm. on that because what I am wary of doing is spreading more fear mm. and and it's so complicated because I I told you know I think people have to people live with more fear real you know genuine fear around being assaulted or abused or harassed than I do in my life and I think everyone needs to do this is what I was everyone needs to do what they can do to survive mm. and for some people that that might mean hiding or covering up yeah. part of who they are at times but I, I suppose I'm always thinking about on the other side of that is over a long period of time what are you risking then yeah, in terms definitely. of you and your identity as well yeah. so um yeah so I think I can't remember where so that came from holding hands so yeah. for me I've always you know felt like I have to hold hands mm. um with other women and and actually kiss them in public and mm. and do all of that and I know it is less risky for me than others but there's definitely you know places where it feels much more controversial and I've had partners before who said yeah but I don't want my intimate relationship to have mm. to be a political statement every day and mm. I completely see that side of it as well and I think it depends on who you are as yeah. well in terms of how you what makes you feel good and for me mm. hiding um some uh, hiding because I'm scared mm. um actually makes me feel worse but I think I yeah have a tendency to actually be someone who quite likes to try and push things to the edge or sort mm. of like well if you think that being gay is weird then I'm going to be fucking really weird or do you, do you know, like <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. sort of like an element of my personality and some of the work that I make as well it's almost like I like to like really sort of I'm like well, you know anyone should be allowed to be yeah, here yeah. no matter what you look like so let's like have a look at what a freak looks like and sort of put that in your face because yeah. because of like the fear around difference which isn't like how everyone approaches it and isn't always necessarily the most useful well, thing and, for everyone and, and, and potentially that's like also where your art intersects with your with with who you with who you are because that is part of a practice and part of a wider kind of experiment in the world that mm. is definitely a luxury and an outlet that that we as artists i think get to get to play with that level like that that perhaps people you know who aren't who don't have that as an outlet might not feel access to mm. there's so much i mean there's so much there like that that it's like the maslow triangle thing isn't it you, do you know that no i don't know so this is like triangle of need i think it's maslow and it's it's the things that you need in order to live and it begins with very basic things like food shelter um and if you have those then the need becomes the, the things become more specific and actually in the west we a lot of those things we take for granted and they're just mm. covered yeah. so we're quite high up the triangle which is great because you know you want to be high up the great for us you want to be high up the triangle to get to a point of having what you need but the things towards the top are more kind of self-actualization and and being true to yourself and exactly this judith butler quote you know being able to breathe being able to just to be what what you are without um fear of reprisals there's one that's on there that is about like we're quite obsessed with recycling and about the taking care of the planet and the future and that's pretty far up the triangle because if mm -hmm. you're not sure if next year you're going to have a family or be alive or going to have food next week 
your worry about the planet in 50 years time becomes far less yeah. and so all of these things are, are on a sliding scale but yeah like the um, there's the safety of I don't want to get bashed or shouted at in the street but then there is also that yeah that what's the emotional knock on of not of denying something like that even if you're not acknowledging it or it doesn't feel like it's something that you're denying that you are and I feel like um, so because holding hands for me also brings up my son and mm. you know I hold hands all the time now he's at the age where that's what he wants like he wants to do he really he's so proud of of me and he wants to hold my hand when we're out and it's lovely and I love holding his hand um and at what point that will become a problem for him sometimes I find it like I'm aware of the way people look at at us and mm. at me holding his hand and what's going you know because I think sometimes people don't assume that I'm his parent and other times because we look very similar it's very clear that we are but there's definitely a uh like rush with that skin contact even you know there's like the oxytocin's going to be flowing and you're going to feel good and so there's like there's definite benefits health benefits towards holding hands and feeling comfortable yeah yeah, absolutely. And that's something that's sort of an element of the work that um, I suppose I've learned about through doing it because it wasn't something I was thinking about when I first mm. made the performance. But I think um, human to human contact is uh, incredibly nourishing and mm. good for us. And, um, you know, you speak about um, your son, Joan you know, being young and at that age where I'm sure he touches all of his friends loads yeah. and I'm sure they all hold hands, you know, partly because you have to when you're going around. And if you look at ch young children sort of across the world, they mm. are all doing so much contact with each other. Yeah. And then in different cultures, as you get older, you get told that actually this is the sort of contact that's appropriate yeah. and this is your gender, so you wouldn't touch that person. You know, like basically as in general, I think in the UK as... Um, boys grow up particularly they are taught you know not to touch each other in a way of holding hands yeah, or something yeah. um girls still you know you get away with it a bit but there's still like awkwardness develops around physical contact until most people i think when they're adults basically hold hands with their partner if they're in a relationship mm -hmm. and probably not that many other people perhaps older relatives or younger mm -hmm. relatives like that's another time so um you know what's come up in a lot of discussions around walking holding is well hey why like why does that why yeah. do we suddenly teach people that because actually having this experience of holding these different people's hands i'm finding very nourishing very uplifting mm. um i'm relating to these people in a really different way because yeah. we've got that touch it's like you're already connecting so intimately you've broken down all these barriers um that it can allow for quite deep um and intimate um connections and conversations mm. between people which i think can be really nourishing um but it it is also it sort of highlights um the differences between cultures as well these mm. ideas that we have around like yeah oh you know it's not masculine to touch each other and then you look at you know go to sort of india or some arabic yeah. countries and men are all walking around holding hands but so i think yeah so there's a sort of the cultural side of it um, i think it's interesting in though like because that's the, it's in those often in there's no correlation between holding hands and kind of openness to gender queerness or non-conformity as well because in a lot of places where you'd see men having very close contact there's also 
a lot of uh, you know it's, it's le- less open yeah yeah bizarrely than we would think of the uk being and yeah it, so it's just about what your what your norms are yeah and what you're taught isn't it exactly and i think what i'm interested in is sort of trying to go beyond some of these norms and reveal them for um sort of these social constructs that have just developed over time which i think sort of you know remove us from certain amounts of just basic Mm. humanity and i think like to actually so many people are very scared of the performance and very scared of touching other people and i find that like i obviously understand and i'm not saying those people are wrong or anything but i find it quite alarming that we've got to a point you know as humans where we're like scared to hold each other's hands you know that's there's a lot in that and and I also think if you know if we're talking about accepting acceptance of difference as well I Mm. think touch is a really important thing Mm. I think to come into not just into face-to-face contact with someone very different to you but to actually touch them and hold their Mm. hand it's it's like an act of solidarity with that yeah. person. And, and I think there's a lot of potential in that. And then to do that in public, to yeah. say, I'm on this person's hand. Because you, you are then affiliating yourself with mm-hmm. them. And I think, you know, talking about Joe and holding your hand and having that pride. And it is, you know, you're you're making that connection. And, it you know, it will be interesting to see if there's a time when he becomes aware of, you know, if that does feel any different or... But um, because it, it is, it's there's something in that bond you're saying I'm with this person and yeah and so yeah I think there's a lot of potential I, mean, I take a lot of I take safety from holding his hand mm. like I when I'm I feel safer when I'm out with him than when I'm not out with him because I think I've got a kid so no one's going to give me any hassle yeah. or if someone did give me hassle I think I would access my defense mechanisms far more readily because I because I've, I've got protection parent instinct going on that mm. I'd be like you know get out of my kid's face like what um but i mean where does it come from is it like are we fucked up by the victorians or is it a like i know there was a kind of there's a tudor thing about i said tudor thing i think that goes back to that sort of tudor shakespearean era of the fear of like bad luck rubbing off on us or poverty rubbing off on us Mm -hmm. there's like a lot of interesting stuff around how we treat um the the sick or the dispossessed or the um, like the homeless or whatever w- within society that you know that there's been times where it's been considered really unlucky and that that would directly rub off onto you that kind of if if you touch a um, a sick person you will take that sickness onto you and so that's where we have kind of colonies outside of the village and outside of the mm. the square and stuff like I mean. Have you? Has any of that come up? Through I, your... No, it hasn't. But I think that is really interesting, actually, to think about. Like, I mean, I think so. That's sort of in terms of being scared of touching certain types of people, and that mm. that does make sense. Why we are so? Where our sort of British culture around who holds hands, um, and also how we sort of greet each other has come from. I. That's not something I've researched into, mm. but I would. It would be quite interesting. Because um, we're like we're, we're the generation that's got this weird hug thing going on, right? Yeah. <laughs> like that's that's hasn't that grown up since we were we didn't used to hug each other when I was younger, and I don't think I my don't parents' know. generation do the kind of 
I'm going I'm to say man hug. I know it's like really problematic, <laughs> but like that kind of that everyone. It's acceptable now that everyone's going to hug everyone. Is that a generation? Or is that being in the arts? I don't know. But isn't it like across the board now? That sort of awkward hug that there are no rules like because my friends who, so when I hit university and my friends who are French or Spanish or European um, and I, I, this is my brain going we're all European <laughs> <laughs> but um, you know the pro- proper, proper Europe <laughs> yeah um, that kind of double kiss thing and it's like it's, it's mm. easy it's easy we do a double kiss it's good and they know who yeah you know how it works and now over here there's like do we do a kiss oh or a God, thing? We're and am so I holding awkward. too tight or am I not holding yeah. tight? How long do we hold for? No, we talk about this a lot in Walker Dog because I've done it in other countries yeah. as well and talk about like, you know, some countries you go to and there is just this code and everyone knows. I mean, it's, sometimes I find it weird when it's like a certain thing for different genders. Mm. So certain, like women will kiss on both cheeks, you know, a woman and a man will kiss, but if it's two men, they'll just shake hands. Yeah. Uh, which I still see an element of that within, like within my family um in like sort of wider family when the men meet they'll shake hands mm. but if you're two women or a man and a woman you would like hug and kiss on the cheek yeah but yeah i, I but i do think in general like uh, we are awkward and we don't know what we're doing when we meet each <laughs> other and so often you go in for a hug and then like they and then you hugging you're like oh they were not going to go for a yeah. hug they feel so <laughs> stiff or their arms like weirdly in the middle now because they want to go for yeah, a handshake yeah. or i'm like actually it would be easier if we just said this is what we do. But, uh, but I mean, I love a hug. Um, and yeah, I, I, I do. In, but I know, I, you know, even though I do this bloody project, I'm doing it views, I still have awkwardness around yeah. physical contact. It's such an exposing thing as yeah, well. Yeah. I think that's what I really learned. And, and unless you know that there's certain rules around it, you might have ended up sort of touching someone and then you go, oh, okay, like now we're touching. It's very yeah. different to other senses. There's something very, very immediate about it and and it and it is like much more invasive than mm. than other ways of interacting with people so there's a lot of like really positive potential in it but it can also for loads of different reasons feel very stressful and yeah. um very exposing so yeah I, f- I feel like i love receiving a hug but i'm really bad at giving them i, I don't feel like i'm a good hug giver because that's because i think I've, i'm always worried about the timing of it yeah it's like is this too long yeah <laughs> is this too long now but i think because you said about your family like in, in my so there's parts of my family that are very um heteronormative and quite um reserved in lots of ways she says being very politic but we all kiss on the mouth kiss on the lips do you yeah wow everyone everyone two men two men within the family within the kind of extended family so into cousins and things and it's always been the way and i think i i forget and it's i think it's always a little bit feels a little bit like it's not awkward but i i tend i sometimes forget that it's what happens and then Mm. and then it happens and and that's but that's always been within that within my family. But I don't know why, because it's not like reflected necessarily in how we are as a family. That's so interesting. It's just a thing that we've always done, and and like nakedness as well. You know, like I've always come from a very families that are comfortable with being naked, or a dad with a gaping dressing gown kind mm. of you know thing. Dad has got friends around <laughs> um, that kind of house, and I know people who are super queer, super sex positive, super like open who find the idea of sharing nudity within with their within very close relationships quite 
um, to be too much. So I mean, everything's on a sliding scale, isn't it? Mm. It's not like the queerer you get, the more into being naked and touching you are. Like it's no, and I think it's very personal as well. Mm. Um, I think those things are very personal, and where your anxiety around some of those things have come from, you know, well, yeah. is probably something very deep rooted. So, um, and sometimes no matter what your political beliefs are, the way you emotionally respond to certain situations, mm. like they don't always necessarily match up, even if you're like, oh, I know that I believe this and I should yeah. feel like this in this situation. Actually, I, I'm finding this, you know, quite stressful or, um, but yeah, that's, I'm, I'm still thinking about the kissing on the lips because then I was mm. imagining each of my family and if I, I, like, I'm like, I find that so weird, kissing people in my family on hmm. the lips, but isn't that funny? Because, yeah. Yeah. And it's like, even when it's, been a horrible, horrible, like stressful kind of meeting or whatever. It's still because it's like a thing that just sort of transcends it. Yeah. Yeah. It's. I feel quite proud of that now. It's like I mean, kind of carrying on with. With where we are, but like um, I was saying earlier, I've been at a, we- at a wedding yesterday, and Joan was there, and he's it's well into getting naked at the moment, and he's really into getting his bottom out at home. He gets a lot of. Uh, attention when he gets his bottom out because we have like a cheeky bottom dance it's all very funny and so that was a thing that he was doing on the dance floor yesterday and he was up really late and it was like getting on into the evening and it was getting to the bit of the evening where it's like maybe some people aren't as cool with a three-year-old being here as others are which is all my own internal stuff because actually mm. everyone was very was fine with it but at the point where he's now like getting his butt out and people don't know how to you know like proper Bart Simpson cheeky kind of <laughs> eat my shorts style and there was a point towards the end of the evening and he did it and I think I just went like no and came and and encouraged him to pull them up and then he turned around and he looked mortified and I felt and I felt really bad because I was like oh oh, like I don't want to I don't want to close this down and I really Mm -hmm. don't want to make him feel like he's fucked up because I know that feeling of like you know this is great and now I'm going to do this thing and then it's the thing that is too much yeah yeah um, and I think I managed to pull to pull it back and it was just late but that mo in that moment I recognized like without thinking about it how strongly I was perhaps then giving him a message that's gonna mm. like I don't know as a parent I'm always looking for the what's the point where I'm gonna do the thing that that gives him a complex later on in yeah. life or what but you know is that the moment that he's going to be on the therapist's couch in the future talking about how he can't be intimate with anyone ever or naked and it all come down to the you know my dad told me I couldn't get my bottom out on the dance floor but um god parenting sounds so stressful <laughs> but yeah like those decisions that you have to make that's I yeah that, the the thought of the effects that something like that but my but I wasn't but I'm not responding to him or me or like my delight in seeing him do that because I thought it's I think it's funny I think it's a great mm, joke mm. Um, I'm doing it because I'm worried about other people other people exactly and I'm beca- and so this is all about but it's all about me it's all in my head like no one mm. in the wedding is asking me could you please control your son mm. in fact everyone is like in, enjoying him or ignoring him and but I'm I've got this like you know I've got to be socially aware of everyone like I'm policing him. <sighs> policing, policing, internal policing, isn't it? You know, mm. no one's asking me to do that, but I'm opting into it myself. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's sort of responding to 
perceived rules of a space or perceived yeah impressions that other people are having on something which brings us back to the holding hands right because the, yeah. because the gay couple so our, our imaginary gay men who are deciding not to hold hands or feeling that they can't hold hands actually like because this is the thing about antisocial behavior until it happens it's just you mm. putting that onto the world isn't mm. it you know and actually i'm sure that more times than not holding hands in the street would be totally all right yeah you know? and that's where the statistic but but one time is going to be enough to really yeah cloud over all those other times exactly and i think this is what i find so complicated because i think that um yeah a lot of people you know when i talk perhaps sometimes talk a bit about my practice or some of the work they say oh you know really is it is it still a risk like do mm. you know do people you know we have um gay marriage now like it's been particularly about homosexuality um and i'm like well first of all that there definitely is still a risk and there are still as we can see from what's happened this weekend cases of hate crime against people for various different reasons but whether the risk is real or the feeling that there Mm. is a risk so whether the risk is real or not, the feeling of yeah. there being a risk is real. And that's yeah. what people are walking around with and dealing with. And I suppose, yeah, the ideal would be to try and get to a place where people are not walking around feeling really mm. insecure. And I do think that one of the ways of doing that, and this has come from you know some of the conversations I've been speaking to people about over the weekend, Building up your own self-confidence and acceptance mm. of who you are um, is is hugely important and being surrounded by people who can help you do that. And mm. then being confident enough, and I'm not saying this, like I'm really not trying to say this like it's mm. an easy thing, but having the confidence to decide to be who you are yeah. in public and and sort of continue with that action repeatedly can lower that fear within you it doesn't negate the fact that sometimes Mm. there is a risk as well and like and 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 the risk is different for different people Mm. and in different places and all these things are huge but I suppose I am interested in trying to build confidence amongst Mm. people and try and open up the possibilities of how we can Mm. be in public space and I think more often than not what's happened through walking holding is that people have come who've been scared and then gone through it and thought actually I did that Mm. and nothing bad happened that was really positive and a sort of direct experience is like when we did it in Dublin you know a a couple of weeks before we were there two gay men had been beaten up in the city centre which is awful Mm. and obviously this sort of sense of homophobia being present on the streets was there when we were doing it but I felt and this is a a few years ago that I did it in Dublin but I really sensed that there was this like accepted sense of homophobia so it's like yes of Mm. course we can't walk around holding hands because people are homophobic here and and so there's a risk and and that's just part of what it is and some young gay gay guys came and took part in walking holding and had that experience of walking holding hands with other Mm. men in Dublin and nothing bad happened and doing that you know sort of repeatedly Mm. and they were like hang on a minute like we should be able to do this Mm. we absolutely should be able to do this um and I think they hadn't really sort of seen it in that way before. It was just sort of accepting that there's a risk. So going, well, we can't do it. But yeah. the act of doing it and nothing bad happening, which hopefully, you know, 
would continue (laughs) throughout their life it gives it built up their confidence and they saw it as actually an incredibly empowering thing to do so I know it's like really difficult territory because there are risks as well but I think I'm I do try and advocate for Mm. um for to to help people feel like basically more comfortable being themselves I think is I think but I mean that thing of uh, it, it, it is it is impossible because for for because the risk is real and it's not like the more times you go out and nothing happens the less that risk becomes because you could go out I mean it's like anything and it's not just about LGBTQ hate crime this is about any kind of crime mm. you know I've, I've lived in London for 10 years I've never been mugged mm. I could have got mugged on day one I'm not less likely to get mugged on year 10 because I didn't get mugged for 10 yeah. years I mean maybe you, you you know you learn how to think and you manage yourself but also there's like that random that random crime where just because you were in the wrong place at the wrong time can happen to anyone at any time and I guess that's the thing like that's not going to come because of necessarily um, your behaviour that could come for you know that could just come and that's just the world that we live in but hopefully it's not likely to and you're more likely to I don't know some amusing stereo some amusing um, statistic like have a waffle fall on your head or something (laughs) than but you know obviously there's we live in 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 fear particularly as people who have to transgress those things like I think in my early years of beginning to be out as trans it was like I definitely walked the streets with less fear now than I did mm. and with more confidence and probably there is a chart where I am less visible because I'm more confident because we look at it with it's like a it's an animal reflex isn't it maybe that we notice the people who are in okay so there's a thing that came up in one of my in one of my projects like research that I did into rabbits rabbits being prey animals this comes from the the egg box (laughs) yeah nice right um and prey animals um are like uh, often in a pack and they are animals that are the prey of of bigger predators and prey animals a feature of them is that they don't show pain or weakness so rabbits could be in loads of pain but they don't show it on the outside Mm. they're like completely stoic and you don't know and that's because if you are a prey animal and you show that you're weak you're going to be targeted by Mm. the predator Mm. um and humans we're not prey animals we're pack animals but i think there's something in that kind of not showing you know if you show your weakness you become more become more vulnerable Mm. which is fucked up and unhelpful because at the point where you are at your weakest you don't needs to be your, your most vulnerable like it ought to be that at the point where you're at your weakest and most exposed and most nervous about going out that there's a lot of support yeah to make that yeah. easier um and yeah i mean the only way i have got to the point of being able to walk down the street and sometimes not think about it is through doing it a lot and mm. nothing happening but something could happen yeah. tomorrow. It's but, diff- you know. I think whether it whether it changes the risk or not is hard to know. But I also think, you know, in some ways it is... If we look at sort of history, um, 
it is different to the chance of being mugged because throughout history people have been like incredibly brave and if we mm. you know because obviously through this safety map project i've been looking at queer spaces in brighton throughout time and thinking about when it was illegal and stuff like that and yeah. so over time more and more people have said i'm going to express myself in public as mm. who i am and that accumulated has accumulated to a point of us being much more mm -hmm. safe now than we you know ever have been and i suppose another thing that happens when you walk out in public being who you are sort of to your fullest or whatever is that some other people see that and they're like oh i could do that yeah and that's yeah, so yeah. important and that's what i sort of say with walking holding as well is like over the time that it's been on for those however many days during that area we've been in there have been like more <laughs> sort of queer or unusual couples walking around and right. if a child has been on the street during those days they might have seen like you yeah, know yeah. these different types of people and i think all of those things are really positive but i you know again i'm i for me it's like been a really long process to get to a point where i feel a the importance of that and also the ability to be able to express myself fully. and I don't always mm. you know and like me and Laurie my best friend who lives in Glasgow would talk about choosing what we going to wear in the morning I mean him more than me but like based on how much attention he wants to draw yeah. when he's walking out on the street and sometimes you think I you know I actually love sort of wearing quite extravagant clothing sometimes and it's a slightly different thing but it's about like being seen in mm. public and how that makes you feel and the comments that you can get and yeah. sometimes it's like come on like do this because when you see other people being like that you think oh that's amazing yeah, yeah. and I'm so happy to see that and you are actually I think for me I feel like it's this act of like widening what's possible yeah, yeah. because there's such narrow rules about how we're meant to be and mm. look you know in public and where we're allowed to go and you know where we're allowed to sit and everyone walks around with like a map in their head of like mm. places they think they're allowed in and not allowed in and like I think like the act of walking holding mm. and and yeah something like this is actually about going oh, let's sort of try and just open that up mm. a little bit and like have a bit more breathing space and a bit more possibility of yeah. of how we can look and so I suppose you know the practice of doing that yourself does allow yourself to do it more but you just there's no way of um stopping there being a fucking arsehole oh, sorry I probably shouldn't swear on this. No, no, we but you know yeah <laughs> someone on the street and <laughs> um, that that's but that, that and that's hard to um, know whether that's going to happen or how you can stop that. But I think more visibility means more changing attitude means less people like that. Yeah. I mean, there's there's a couple of things that. So the I, yeah, there's two things that that I that I want to say. Um, one is like that thing of of Laurie saying about kind of um, or you like changing what you're going to wear based on wanting to invite hassle or not invite hassle just because sometimes just don't want it like i i so remember going through that through at points of transition of like i really want to wear i love i love wearing dresses i really like wearing dresses i like being quite femme like and that's that i, I embrace that and there being this like being points of being so sad that i couldn't really pissed off and annoyed that that i, that I had this place in the world that just meant that's not allowable for me and I've definitely gone through that now because there's so many other signifiers about me that mean that actually I'm in the box of 
it being socially acceptable. Even if people don't find what I am socially acceptable, they recognise that it's socially acceptable for what I am to wear a dress. Mm. So the dress isn't the problem anymore for people. Mm. And actually, in a way, like, I'm not... So I'm not even really helping that anymore. I've gone through some kind of bubble and out the other side where I'm just reinforcing the fact that people who are female-identified wear dresses. And, you know, that's okay. But, like, I, I recognise definitely that I don't... Only very recently, and again, when I was being when I was poorly, and back to to mm. being read as a as a guy, back to going, oh, I can't wear my, oh, I can't wear what I want to again, and so it's not a forever. This is also like comes with how I feel about myself. So ha- where's my mental health and my mm. confidence? Mm. Where's my, you know, where do I perceive my visibility? But yeah, the privilege of not having to fucking worry what you're going to wear is really big. And I guess I do still police it, but not to the same extent at all. The other thing was a conversation I had um, at the weekend in, in the bar downstairs with some trans women, and we were chat. We were, we were, they were talking. I kind of came into their conversation, but were saying about um, going. We were talking about a book that was written by Casey Plett, um, who's an author who came over here and did like a book reading in back in November. And one of the stories in that is of a. a it's in the states, and this character goes off into in Canada, actually, I think to see a relative who's from a kind of very, like almost Amish community, not Amish, but like a very withdrawn religion. And so this trans woman goes back to meet her grandfather, but goes back and dresses as a, as a man to, to meet them, but mm-hmm. takes a friend who's also trans. And this woman is like, I'll get, you know, I'm, I'm okay in the city, but I'll get red, I'll get hassled. And um, the person who, the woman whose grandfather it is, is like, they won't because they don't know what they're looking for. Mm. So no one's going to give you hassle. You're wearing a dress. All they'll be able to see is is a is a woman, and that's something that that they, so the, these women that I was chatting to were saying that that's the thing that as there's been more trans visibility, people notice mm. if you are trans mm. more, so that it becomes less easy to just like to not be read if you want or to be and you know this is a, a big thing that comes up a lot about passing privilege and the privilege of 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 that but um but yeah the thing that if you don't know what the thing is you can't be prejudiced against it yeah so until, until people so that that's the going back to what you were saying about the more people do a thing the more there is acceptance of it because people get to see it but then also the more like if you're gonna have a problem with it you like recognize what that thing is because mm-hmm. if you don't know that men fuck each other sometimes then you're not going to be bothered by two men holding hands yeah which I guess was a thing about you know in invisibility for so long yeah no that's that is that interesting yeah no it does and I've not I've not um looked at it in that way I think that is interesting I think it also relates a bit to I think this relates to uh this experience of doing this mat in Brighton mm. and the fact that there is um quite there's been a lot of instances that people have shared of sort of um hate crime against lgbt mm. people and and people have been we've been talking about it, but brighton seems like such an open place because there's a huge mm. visibility mm. of lgbt people here and actually i think that does relate to what you're saying because pe- people know there's a huge visibility of people here people see certain things they go oh that's they're gay or they're mm. lesbian because they're here in Brighton and I live here so I understand what's gay and, or, mm. you know, whatever. Compared to in some other cities where actually people 
might not even see the yeah. LGBT community in the same way. So perhaps that's why, even though we see it as this place where a lot of people find a lot of freedom and confidence from being here because they see other people that mm. they feel are the same as them and they see them in large numbers taking up spaces, um, why there is also, uh, it seems, from what the information that's coming to again, quite a lot of what's, tension. What's, com- what's come up? I mean, there's... Looking, look at the map for a bit. But I mean, how has it how has it been over the last three days? Well, I mean, it's been really interesting. I think, as I said maybe a bit earlier, like I was apprehensive about the project and about what might happen and what the ask was because of this thing of like, do I want to create something where we're just seeing a city as being really dangerous because we're having these. Sort of negative experiences, mm. but um, I actually think for a lot of people, the opportunity to talk about stuff that has happened to them and to read other people's experiences has been um, positive, and to talk about what do we do in these situations. I mean, quite a lot of things are sort of, I was walking along here and this person shouted at me this thing, yeah. or people were driving past in the car and they a lot of drive-by um, name-calling. Mm. Um and I'm like, well, what are those people doing? They're just sort of driving around. Like, they can't get very far if they're going to shout something out the window yeah. at every queer person they see in Brighton. Yeah. Um, it's so odd, that dry, that thing of... Because I get shouted at from... I've been shouted at a number of times from people in cars. And it's... I guess you, like... There's a safety from within your car. Yeah. That, you know, you're not going to have any fear of reprisal. Yeah. But it's so, like, I'm just going to drop this shit on you and then leave. It's... It's horrible. It's horrible. Yeah, it's horrible and cowardly. And I think if, you know, how you as a person then take that on. Hello? Hello? Hi. Hi, yeah. Do you need to grab something? Are you still podcasting? We are, yeah. Um, I need to just print off. I'm doing the show. I need to get, like, the door list. Yeah, no worries. That's okay. I'll be really quiet. That's okay. Can we carry on talking? Huh? Do you mind if we carry on talking? No, no, of course not. Um, I will be using the printer. That's alright. Yeah, and like that. Where does that? Where does that go for them? Like the person in the car. Yeah, exactly. It's um, yeah. I find it all quite upsetting, really. I think um, I really enjoyed listening to the podcast with Rory and um, the things he was talking about. Was it is it restorative justice where yeah. the victim and the perpetrator meet up? I found that um, really interesting to listen to and quite inspiring. It and it did, and I tried to speak to people about that over the weekend because I I think like what what's what's the value in doing any of this and what when could something positive come out of mm. one of these crimes? Well, potentially it would be for someone who has committed one of these crimes to actually. Um, realise or change their opinion or, or, you know, not do something like that again. So I spoke to a couple of people about, you know, who've been, had something shouted at them. Well, what if you could sit down and have a conversation together? And I mean, no one has had that experience, but I think, and if someone is driving around in a car, that's pretty much um, impossible. Although I guess you could take a picture of the number plate. Yeah. Um, And it would just be interesting to see, like, what the what that conversation could be and how they would actually feel if they were confronted with these people who they've just yeah. been 
shouting it out of windows. And I think that coming into con it's coming into contact, proper contact with people, is so important. Well, I mean, I think that comes up loads to, that I feel like I'm always talking about complexity. So it's complexity, and this is what we we're not directed towards at all in life from politicians or from school or from anything we're driven towards very simple what's the least i can engage with something to understand it very mm, fully mm. so we have this sort of surface understanding of many many things and actually as soon as you like you, you as soon as you sit down and get into gender or you sit down and get into any, any of these things very quickly it's got to be all right because you understand the complexities around it. It's only when you're existing on a very surface level that you don't, because then there's fear and there's misunderstanding and stuff. So, I mean, it's, yeah, dialogue has to be, you know, yeah, has to be helpful and, and healing. I thought that was really interesting. I, I thought it was really, when I was talking to Rory, I couldn't believe that verbal abuse is a crime. Yeah, this is something I that... I can't believe it. I can't believe I didn't know that, though. Yeah. And I don't think many people know it, no. actually. And uh, I think it's really good. I've been speaking to a lot of people about that, and most people have been surprised. Um, but I had a great conversation with a trans woman called Sophie who came in. Um, we were talking about... Um, yeah, what how like when someone says some abuse to you and then after you're sort of left just feeling uh a bit vulnerable and a bit um sad or powerless mm. and then maybe five minutes later you think oh i wish i'd said that yeah, yeah and she was saying that she'd been on the street and some men had sort of come around the corner and they did something like oh god that's disgusting it shouldn't be allowed mm. about her which is a horrible thing to say yeah. and she walked off and then she was like oh, i wish i'd stood there and be like actually you're right this is not allowed and I am calling hmm. the police and like you know let them know that them saying that is actually yeah, yeah. that that's a crime and the police could come and they you know could be in trouble for that but she she thought of that afterwards but she was really interesting actually there's an interview with her as well but um she uh, works in premiership football and right. sort of came out um as trans like a year ago and I you know I realized I had some prejudices about that environment yeah. and assumed that that would be quite difficult and that there yeah. you know would potentially be a lot of backlash and transphobia and quite distressingly she said that um on gay pride last year she had more harassment and abuse than she had done from like a whole year of being out in football from um, people within the pride from people at gay pride right but she's saying it was sort of like people from out of town but basically but her that's a very negative side yeah, yeah. of the story that was a particular day that she and Brighton didn't feel comfortable right, okay. but um, she actually does feel very very comfortable in Brighton and she was saying she feels like because of living in Brighton and the community that's here particularly somewhere like the Marlborough mm. that gives her a hell of a lot of strength to then be able to go out into other mm. um, environments that don't feel as necessarily friendly but yeah, she's yeah. sort of um yeah, like become quite a spokeswoman for mm. um, trans people in the workplace and there's been loads of big talks and it was like a really inspiring conversation right. actually with her um, and and definitely challenged my prejudice about, uh, yeah, football and that whole industry because it seems yeah. like she's been getting loads of positive affirmation mm -hmm. um, for the decision that she's made. So that was a really, yeah, she was really interesting to, t to speak to but she definitely felt like being in Brighton was sort of key to mm. her developing her confidence as a person. I think, I mean, so from a, a trans kind of storyline, and that's 
the only one that I can speak to. But like, yeah, I've. I'm moving to Brighton. I'm not. I'm not moving to Brighton because I don't feel comfortable in London. But I'm aware that London is another big city, and I think the experiences of living in London or Brighton um, are very different to. Well, I know from having travelled around to being in smaller towns or different parts of the UK or different different parts of the world. Um, but there's definitely like this place where we are, like the Marlborough, has been so helpful a place to to exist and come out and more so than similar places I could think of in London or other places that I've been to because it is so there's so many trans people here and so many trans women here and so you know it's it is a space that feels kind of populated with all manner of diversity as opposed to it being the place for you know trans women or trans guys or Mm. like lesbians or gay men or what you know it, it feels in its current incarnation that everyone is existing very freely side by side mm. and i found like i've i've flowered through being here and taking confidence into the outside world were people quite because of you know it's like any of these sort of things this kind of invitation there's me a lot of people who wouldn't feel able to even come and talk to you about mm. stuff did the people who came with their stories feel particularly like that they were the people were people sharing because it like so, so you were doing interviews as well which I didn't know because I know I was saying on the last podcast oh, I'll all be confidential and stuff and actually that wasn't the case for a lot of people because you they did give interviews mm. the people the people who were speaking what did they mostly seem like they were over the experience they were over, oh over the experience yeah. that they were sharing I think it meant like over what we were doing um, okay. I think Yes, I think they did. I think, mm. you know, there was a couple of people sharing some quite traumatic things who had gone through a time of feeling like dealing with the trauma and feeling mm. very insecure and then coming out the other side just deciding they wanted to be quite vocal about it. I mean, there was a mixture of people, you know, it, it, some people wanted things to be confidential, to be anonymous, and some people mm. really wanted to talk. They wanted to do the interview. They wanted it to be part of the yeah, online yeah. map. And, and so we were sort of letting everyone know that you know stuff was going online and mm. were they happy for that and um so yeah so it was a mixture but i think um in general um people felt quite happy to talk yeah. about what had happened to them and and they weren't sort of very new um experiences necessarily but mm. it, it was a mixture of interactions and some of them certainly felt sort of more um, emotional than yeah. others um, and some of them are things that have happened a long time ago um, I mean it's interesting because I think some people sort of came in and then they were like sort of racking their brains to think of a time when something bad had happened and I was like well no yeah. because actually like does that mean that you feel quite comfortable here then mm. and like and that's a really good thing yeah, let's yeah. put that on here because because that is what Brighton is for so many people yeah. as well and and that story you know we need to acknowledge that about this place and so um I, I had a moment of coming in I was like oh no there's this really nasty thing happened to me in Clapham I wish that had happened in Brighton because then I could <laughs> talk about it like and I wanted to you know you, you want to offer something that's helpful to the um <laughs> to the project but yeah, that becomes a, as you say, that's not the point to sort of encourage people to dredge up yeah. negative negative things. Yeah, and then just to have a very negative map of Brighton, which I don't think is necessarily 
gonna help no. safety completely. I think acknowledging the positive things about this place, like somewhere like the Marlborough, I think yeah. it's hugely important that these that that what the Marlborough is for people is known because mm. I do see it as like for so many people a really important part of people's life actually, and I yeah, was definitely I so. getting that story. So I think those things are really important um, to share, mm. at, so that yeah, so that the people. <laughs> You might redesign it. No. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's it's a very it's such an important place. It's got such a long history, and I think there's a lot of people who, like we've both been resident here as well, and it definitely feels like being part of a. I, I don't want to use this like lightly, but it feels like being part of a family and part of a community. And I think there's a lot of people who have that mm. possessive feeling about it, or not mm. possessive, but that's a kind of negative thing. But you know, feel very at home here, and that's something that you cannot you can't put a value on that and you can't artificially make that happen that can only happen over time can't it yeah yeah feel at home here and also feel sort of recognize mm. what a rare space it is i think like and sort of some of the things we've been talking about before about feeling like you can be yourself fully feeling like you can wear whatever you want to wear feeling yeah free to to express yourself not, I don't think there's that many spaces where a large amount of different types of people feel that, yeah, but I do yeah. think that this is somewhere that holds that kind of feeling. And, you know, perhaps I'm just talking from a queer perspective and perhaps some people really wouldn't feel like that here, but mm. it definitely feels like a really um, open and accessible space for yeah. a group of people who might not feel the same way in lots of other spaces. Yeah, so. Yeah. Um, yeah, and that's why it's lovely to do projects like this here mm. as well. Uh, but I, equally, I think it would be really great if this map, um, you know, this feels like a beginning to me. Yeah. And a lot of people um, have said that, they're like, oh, what's going to happen to it? And how can it keep being visible? And this, there's so much space for people to add. I was thinking, you know, if over a year it sort of just popped up in different places mm. in Brighton mm. and different people had a chance to add things to it, it could be really interesting to see... Um, what would emerge because obviously just doing three days over a yeah. bank holiday weekend in a certain place only reaches <clears> certain people but um, yeah I feel like this is the start of definitely. something that could build definitely yeah. I mean that it comes back to that Judith Butler quote doesn't it you know about just wanting somewhere to to, to breathe and to remove that um, that noise in the head that takes up so much energy and so much kind of space is there were there any other kind of is there anything that came kind of came through? Was there a hot spot, or was there like a a sort of general theme or vibe, or? Um, there isn't really a hot spot that's emerged, although a lot of it has been sort of like that, like middle, central, sort of central Brighton is where a lot, yeah. but that's obviously just more sort of populated place where more things happen. Um. Well, like a similarity, I guess, to the the narrative of the story. Yeah, I'm trying. I wrote some little notes to remind me of <laughs> things that have sort of come up. I mean, a, a lot of the conversations have been around these issues that we were talking about earlier. Like, where do we draw the line between risk and visibility? Yeah. Um, and the impression I get is that. Um, not everyone that came and interacted with it was LGBT, but but I think most people were, and people 
in general, I think, and, and maybe I thought this before, but people see Brighton as, as a place that is for them. Mm. and but, they're, um, but that doesn't mean that there aren't instances of <coughs> homophobia here. I mean, um, yeah, I feel like... <coughs> I feel like I still need to, uh, pro- like, kind of go through everything and process it a bit mm. before I make some kind of. Because uh, I mean, even just like looking at it as I have been just throughout this <laughs> whole conversation, there's some things that frighten the hell out of me mm. on here, and that's just because I'm really, I'm really frightened of physical violence. Mm. I'm really frightened of physical violence. I know that I still have carry a lot of privilege um, because of my race and my class that protect me mm. and my um I'm quite articulate you know and things like this so that but it just really it just scares me but then also like the things that have come through of like the historical like there's one about uh, an old gay cottaging site that was here and stuff and but the th- that some of those things that were so scary are now like real emblems and really celebrated like even celebrated in quite mainstream brighton of like oh this is part of our this is part of our history and our culture and look, this is where this bad thing, you know, doesn't happen anymore, persecution doesn't happen anymore. What? Mm. Meanwhile, that's just moved else, elsewhere and along. And I think like that thing of the, I wish I'd done this, I wish I'd said that, and I want to like, you know, be the person who the next time someone says something, be like, yeah, well, I'm gonna call the fucking police, or I'm gonna do this. But it makes me so frightened. And I feel like actually the sensible thing to do is don't respond, put your head down, get out of there. Mm. And that's mm. a real, like, that's, and I feel really bound up in that, like, mm. oh, but now I know it's a crime. I want to, like, be respons- be the responsible um, member of society who calls in a crime, who does the thing. But also, like, don't know, you know, you, it's like the... Years ago, there was a, I mean, not that many years ago, but I remember in London, there was a big, big story about there was a woman who was um, killed because her bag was taken and she went after the person. And there was a lot of debate around this in central London. Mm. And a lot of the debate around it was like, if your bag gets stolen, just let it go. Just let it go. Nothing's worth that. But also being like, but that instinct to go after, and it's mm. not right that your bag should get taken. And so why, why shouldn't she have gone after you know gone after that and that in some way the reporting of that story was that you know i don't think anyone was saying it was her fault but there was a sense of you know she should have let it go and that she brought it upon herself and there's that Mm. thing of you know you bring it upon yourself that and and then knowing that so this is me now saying i could i feel like i'm not going to be doing enough because i'm going to run away you know, that I'm going to run away and I want to stay and fight and I want to imagine I'm the person who would stay and fight, but I never have been and I've always run yeah. in those circumstances and then felt shit for running. But running is also what we're supposed to do. You're supposed to run. Yeah. It, that's okay. It's okay to run away. Yeah. I think, I mean, I think definitely there's like lots of different circumstances that would potentially feel different. I think mm. something... Um, I've taken from this is the importance and I think you and Rory spoke about this as well as like the importance of being there for someone else so mm. if you're witnessing someone else having any kind of hassle that because actually if you're the victim yourself yeah, yeah. you're in a really vulnerable position if you are an onlooker if you see anything like that happening to you know to sort of 
see if you can act in yeah, solidarity. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah, I mean, I think like it, it's so difficult to know. I mean, I'm like scared of any kind of confrontation and tend mm. to just sort of cry and run. But um, but I, there were a couple of stories, and I'm trying to think of them now, where people. There was one. Um, a man said he was holding hands with another man, and he was walking along, and these guys um, shouted some abuse at them. And his reaction was to let go of his partner's hand, and mm. his partner di- did not want to let go because mm. they shouted that thing, but wanted to sort of keep holding and like walk even taller. And they did that, and the people that shouted abuse just didn't know what to do. Mm. And and so it yeah, was, yeah. and that's you know that's really um, amazing, and took that that mm. other man's courage um, to do yeah. that, but. Um, yeah, I think it's just it's just fear. It's the because yeah, again, it's that course. and it's about that the unfairness of the responsibility being on the victim to have to rise above the thing. Yeah, and that that being your responsibility, it comes back to a thing that I was told really really early in my transition, and I was asking about where like where, where are the other people who were like me um, to a um, medical professional, and like and and by which I meant. Um, trans women who were parents who were still in a relationship that they'd been in all, all of these things and the person came back and said well you know I think you're just going to have to fly that flag for yourself which was ridiculous because there's mm. plenty of people out there but that was what I was you know the, the, again the responsibility is on you mm. to make the thing happen and mm. I feel like there's a lot of responsibility that that is put upon <laughs> being different and being and again it's like well you know you you won this, you've got to go and mm. make it. And there is a responsibility that we we all have to be part of, that, that we are, whether we like it or not, part of a part of a thing. And there's a responsibility to um, to that. Someone, again, here, that I, I loved so much, uh, hearing this trans woman said, walking down the street as a trans, as a trans woman is a political act. Mm. And so I think, you know, you are doing, we are doing all the time. But yeah, that kind of, the weight of, and I've got to be brave yeah, on yeah. top of everything else because I don't want to be brave, actually. But it, yeah. Yeah, that Judith Butler, because this is from a talk that I saw do that quote, and in that same talk she was saying, you know, when yeah, when a trans woman, for example, walks down a street, they that is every trans woman in the world mm-hmm. walking down that street. When two women hold hands in a place, they are saying that, two women can hold hands here. Mm. And everyone on the street who witnesses them doing that thing and smiles at them or supports them is also yeah. saying, yes, you are allowed here, this is allowed here, we can do this. And this is and a more positive thing to think, right, isn't yeah. it? Is that, you know, so this is... And again, it's, it's a... It's a um, oxymoronic, maybe, that, you know, the the, the intention of this, of this project and this map is to um, facilitate people to talk about these things and to make it a process of healing. And that, again, from the conversation with Rory, we know is essential that we have to talk about these things. The only way that there can be healing is to share it and to get it out and to put it and so that it's really fantastic. But that what comes from it is is a fixation on the negative things mm. and on the like, you know, the, the one negative event outweighing in the year, outweighing the 364 days when something didn't happen. Mm. And actually, you know, yeah, how can we re-weight, reweight that and be like, rather than today someone said something mean to me, to say today no one said mean things to me and that is that's great and so, to celebrate that yeah exactly yeah and i think there is some days we feel more confident and other days 
there are some people who feel more competent or more able to express something than others and I think when we do feel like that or we feel like we have somewhere where we have some agency mm. to do that like and you know both of us are artists and and try to ex explore some of these things through our art and you know other people do it in different realms all of those things are important and it is sort of taking a collective responsibility for for a group of people or for sort of demanding space for difference and more mm. acceptance of difference and um I know it's sort of looking at a broader term than what it is to actually be on your own on a street, but I, I think there's strength in that network mm. of people as well, and yeah. I think that I feel a responsibility because I because I feel like I have a confidence to do certain things. So I'm like, well, I, I should use that confidence that I have that yeah, some yeah. others might not have, in order to sort of, yeah. And actually, that's I mean that's something that I have found from queer spaces. Often, I've never been to mainstream Pride, so I know that's a place that often can cause conflicts. I guess it's so big now, so that you know, mm. with bigness comes things. But definitely in you know places like the Marlboro we've, we've spoken about, or Trans Pride here, like you know, there's there is a lot of solidarity and support um, around. Um, we should probably like begin to wrap up. Hello. Hey, that's cool. Something no, 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 come in. <laughs> um, what's... Where are you? What? What's next? What, what, are you, what are you on to next? Next for me. What's alive I, for you in life? Um, <laughs> continuing to think about queer experiences in public space, actually, which is ongoing. And with Walking Holding this summer, I'm taking it to some slightly smaller towns I mean not really small towns but I've mainly done it in big cities and I'm going to be taking it to places like Reading and Colchester and mm. um, Doncaster and Stoke and really trying to look at LGBT experiences in those places which coming with my own uh, perceptions mm. I feel like are maybe slightly less diverse and there's less visibility with less diversity definitely than in a bigger city like mm. London or so that's sort of one thing, and, and making a film about that as well. And I'm also in Glasgow responding to the closure of the arches as a a place for queerness and deviance um, and seeing what happens when we take some of that out into public as well. So this, you know, this is sort of something I'm continuing to think about, not in such a direct way, mm -hmm. but this has been... A good opportunity to like think what the actual issues are that all of this is for as yeah, well yeah. if you know what I mean so it's quite um, impressive to spend this time at, at to not be walking around the issue actually to spend some time withholding that space mm. of yeah I had this experience directly in the in the street mm. actually and then to kind of remember that that is that is a thing that's there mm. And then to be able to step back into the more general, looking at you know, looking mm. at that more generally. Mm. Cool. Yeah. Um. Thank you. Thank you. I feel oh. totally exhausted. Actually, I do. No, it's well, it, I, but I think it's a big. It's a lot. Yeah. It's a lot because it's too much, and there's no answer, and it's sort of like what I come away, what I come away feeling like from this conversation, is like, okay. Got to keep, 
got to keep doing it then. Got to keep yeah. working, you know, got to keep being strong, got to keep being... And I, I guess I feel... I feel so supported and so lucky and brilliant and blessed and, and all these kind of things, but I also do feel a bit weary mm. of that side of things. And I guess, like, I don't think I was... <laughs> I don't think this is like necessarily something that I've felt about this the map, but like you know, there's always there's always the hope. I think every time there's something like this, or there's something like you know, that there's going to become an answer that actually it will just it will just fix it, mm. and we'll be able to go. Oh yeah, this is the thing that you can actually do. Mm. We've got this app now, or this is the <laughs> this is the way it goes, and actually, you know, it it's not like that. Well, you know, it is because the key is talking to each other and working together and being open and hearing and holding spaces and those things but there isn't a kind of quicker fix we didn't generally fix the world over this weekend like it was what i was asking rory right so i'm asking rory will there be an end last Mm. week and he's like "Mm, no (laughs) it's like oh come on (laughs) no okay that's a that's a shame but you know what there has been such huge progression and that you know that's a positive thing from this weekend looking into the the history of spaces in Brighton as well and I think always feel like hugely overwhelmed by the things people have done you know in the past 50 years to get you know things to where they are now and and it's important that we know that that, that we know and that we let other people know that it isn't now all just fixed as well because suddenly yeah. everything's legal I think like public opinion takes takes a much longer period of time but um, yeah the the lives that a lot of people lead who are coming to the marble regularly and well actually I don't know what other people's lives are like I guess I've just been reading this book about you know what it was like in the 50s for lesbian and gay people and it's really really yeah. really sad yeah. actually and um and i and i take um comfort and joy in in like all the amazing sort of progress yeah. that has been made since then so but but i don't yeah, know you're, you're yeah. right and i i feel so happy to be the age i am now rather than you know 20 years ago mm. i sort of wish I was 20 years, like, younger sometimes, <laughs> but I don't... But, yeah, very happy to be around now rather than then. Um, do you have a topic for my next conversation? Oh! I feel like we, we nailed holding hands quite well, actually. Yes. Well, today. it's, it's was, something that, that I... That was good. ...thought about a lot, so it's a lovely one to be given. Let me see what... There's... Um, I don't know if it's... Does it have to, it doesn't necessarily have to link oh no it can be the, 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 it can be completely uh, tangential it's probably helpful if it is in a way <laughs> um, uh, oh you put me on the spot and I you, very... you, you can also have a think and let me know maybe I'll have a think well suppose something I'm interested in but I feel like it's almost too linked to what we've spoken about and you don't want to have the same conversation again no i'll 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 see if i can think of something that would perhaps go forward in a different direction all right but i don't know if i can think of it right now that's fine cool all right well thanks so much it's been good to try and process some stuff but i feel like i've still got a lot of um sitting and thinking to do yeah i don't think this processed anything did it
<laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Emma. <laughs> So there we have it. Um, my thanks to Rosanna for that conversation and to Pink Fringe and the Marlborough for hosting us and for putting on the safety map. I think it was a really uh, brilliant intervention and a great start to a conversation that has um, an awful lot more <laughs> in it. Um, I'll post links to uh, things in the uh, in, in the attachment. Um, also, the safety map will exist as a spanking website quite soon. Um, so do check that out. I'll update the link when that is ready and I'll be I'll probably tweet about it. And if you follow Pink Fringe, I'm sure they will as well. Um, and that will be launched with some of the documentation. So if you're interested, do follow that. Uh, if this brings up anything for you, I'll put those links again in the uh, in the information as well. So to the future, what's next? Well, um, Rosanna got back in touch with me and the topic of conversation she has given for the next uh, podcast is children, which is very exciting to me uh, as somebody who is in possession of a child. Um, so we'll see where that goes. Uh, but that's the topic for the next conversation. However, I'm going to cheat and I'm not going to use that topic for the next conversation because the next conversation I'm going to have is going to be uh, in a week's time. And I'm going down to Mayfest in Bristol and I'm going to speak with, um, I'm going to attend uh, some shows there and I'm going to attend particularly a talk a discussion talk about uh, diversity and we're gonna uh, talk about that um and so that will be the next podcast uh so it'll be a slight deviation and it's going to be posted as well as in all the usual places it's going to be played on mayfest radio so um with that exciting uh, possibility hanging over our heads i will carry children over um so that we can kind of get back to normal running for that and just have some sort of rambling chat as ever i'm um, thank you so much for listening and take care of yourselves and i look forward to uh, being with you next time all the best oh and i wanted to offer a ps uh ps my show is on next week in london so if uh, any of you are based around and you're interested to see what um what it's like rituals for change it's been alluded to in a couple of uh, previous conversations it's on at the yard in hackney wick from the 10th to the 14th of may so if you're listening to this podcast uh, before those dates are up then you've got a chance to come on down and um and see the show there'll uh, be a link to it also in the um in the information it's part of uh, a season called now 16 and in a double bill with a um, another great show called wishbone and uh, our show rituals for change will be bsl interpreted all week as well so do please spread the words to any um trans people you think might be interested any not trans people you might be interested and uh, certainly anyone who might be interested in the fact that it's interpreted um so with that uh, <laughs> advertisement out of the way i will uh, see you next time thanks for listening bye